I had the option to leave the meeting just then. What if I would have just been dude? I would have recording. Really you. Hell no. I would walk to Naperville <laughs> and murder you. Beat me with your laptop. So, John, I think this. Uh, I think I need to welcome you officially to the speech, guys. Thank you. Um, have you you haven't introduced an episode yet? Have you? I have not. No. Oh dang, dude! I'm kind of surprised it's. I'm, I'm honored and terrified and offended that it hasn't been. <laughs> you haven't been invited yet. <laughs> this was a previously recorded podcast that we already did. So, kind of the the crux of the speech is so Adrian kind of um, breaks down all of these fears and thing, or kind of helps peel back these layers of of Rocky's uh, persona and really like drives him to um, to new heights. Maybe one one quick question just to kind of wrap this up. Is there a way that Elizabeth is kind of like, is there a scenario where she kind of pushed you pride a little bit and like uncovered something like, you know, invigorating mm. in you? Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's more or less constantly. <laughs> um it doesn't need to be too personal. I understand you can get pretty personal and then you, you know, whatever, but no, yeah, that, that's something that uh, I think we'll, we'll be discussing in the uh, the podcast is just kind of how that dynamic, I feel like women are a lot more tuned with that stuff and they kind of, I don't know, they bring that out in you differently. I think maybe the first example that comes into mind, and I guess we weren't, we weren't even married yet. So I don't know if this, I mean, no, it's, like, it still counts. We were, yeah. So we were. I think we were engaged at this point, but I was working at, um, I was working at a church. So this was post seminary. I got a job where I was, I was working at a church and I knew that we were going to get married, but I was also like unsure because I knew a church job wouldn't translate well into like another field because it's like, (laughs) I was the director of liturgy <laughs> and that's like, how can you go from liturgy to like Coca-Cola called it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, does anyone have a chalice that needs cleaning? Cause I'm your man. And, and I mean, there's like some skills that you need, but not really. And I remember right around that point, one of the guys who was at the church, the, their website guy left and he took a job doing something else. And he went to net ministries or something and um like a internal role at net ministries and so i took on the kind of the website stuff there and like learned specific skills and stuff to be able to get like a job outside of that because i knew like i needed to be able to provide for a family (laughs) and i wasn't going to be able to do that on a church salary sure and elizabeth was like very influential in like giving me the confidence to go out and like get a a new job and to like trust in the skills that I had to be able to get something and like parlay that into like kind of a more traditional career. So there were many times where I was, you know, going through the job interview process and just like really second guessing myself. And she like totally was Adrian just being like, like, you got like you got to go into the interview like with confidence like you have a lot of skills like you're smart like 
and then there's me mumbling. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have the heart, Adrian. I mean, it's a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah that's that's the one i can think of off the top of my head but she's no, she's yeah. constantly she's constantly doing stuff like that for yeah. me as your wife does for you and all of our wives do for yeah yeah no that's um yeah and that's just a obviously rocky is the the main dude you know the hero and all the but like uh, but yeah, I think that episode in particular really shows Adrian as the he- you know, she- yeah, as more of a hero figure. Did you did you pick the speech? So this I was did. yeah, yeah, I, I picked the speech. So I what's the title of it? I ain't. I'm afraid. Ain't, I'm afraid. All right. I'm afraid. All right. Should yeah. I do it as Rocky? You can. Try to do it as. <laughs> you can do. You can fly. Yeah, you can have your whatever spin you want. Uh, this is episode 47 of the Speech Guys podcast, all right? Uh, the speech is from the 80s, you know, because I'm Rocky, okay? I ain't got the heart. I ain't got no heart, Adrian. It's Mike, Matt, and not Landon. <laughs> <laughs> and Ross. I'm gonna read. I want to redo that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, you could try. I one wasn't more time. happy with that take. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do yeah. Try one more time if you want. I'm a professional. I can do this. This is episode 47 of the speech by. <laughs> What's the name of the speech again? The I ain't got no heart speech. I, I'm afraid. All right. I'm afraid. All right. I'm afraid. All right. Okay. Um. <laughs> Hey, this is Sylvester Stallone. This is episode 47 of the Speech Guys podcast. What's the name of it? I ain't all right. <laughs> I'm, a, I ain't I'm afraid. All right. I'm, I'm afraid. All right. I'm afraid. All right. I'm afraid. All right. Hey, this is episode 47 of the Speech Guys podcast with our speeches from the 80s series. I, I'm afraid. All right. Featuring Matt, Mike, Ross and not Landon. Stallone out. You <laughs> <laughs> the music. When you see the road, uh, you know, Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson. Matt Schultz and Landon Fry are all are all here. Free, I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want a podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. We are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement.
Okay, here we go. Rocky Three episode speeches from the 80s, specifically the speech that Adrian gave to him. Maybe to help him get his head out of the butt. Matt is the host of this episode, so I will let him take over. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. So yeah, Adrian's speech to Rocky. And so this is the this is the scene uh, on the beach. So uh, Rocky is training with Apollo, and he's just not into it, right? So just laying a little bit of context. He had just gone through a series of losses, so he got destroyed by Clubber Lang in a fight. Just prior to that fight, Clubber Lang pushed Mickey, his old longtime trainer, and he subsequently died from the injuries of that. Can I sort of like make an observation that in Rocky 3, Rocky's trainer dies by <laughs> by merely being pushed by the opponent. <laughs> in Rocky 4, his trainer gets clobbered in a boxing match. And then in Rocky 5, Rocky is the trainer and he kicks the other guy. <laughs> The only redeeming quality of Rocky Five, maybe. <laughs> he kicks. Interesting. I suppose yeah. I'd never put all that together. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's, there you go. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of the context for the speech. Rocky is kind of rattled by all of these losses in his life. And Adrian kind of really helps him dig deep and figure out what's really at the core of his woes and how to get him motivated to start training without further ado let's listen to the speech can i talk to you i want to ask you something important i want you to tell me the truth what why'd you come here just don't want it no more it's over because you want it to be over i'm glad I do. It's just, you've never quit anything since I've known you. I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, how, what, what happened? How did everything that was so good get so bad? What's so bad? Tell me what? I wrecked everything by not thinking for myself. I mean, why couldn't Mickey tell me where I was really at right from the start? He didn't have to carry me and lie to me and make me think I was better than I really was when I wasn't. He never lied. Those fights weren't right. They weren't, Adrian. I never fought anybody who was all in their prime. I was always some angle to hold on to the title longer than I should have had it. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying here? I understand, but you've got to understand that he loved you and that was his job, protecting you. Look, I protect him, don't help nothing. It only makes things worse. You, you wake up after a few years thinking you're a winner, but you're not. You're really a loser. And so we wouldn't have had the title as long. So what? At least it would have been real, Adrian. It was real. Nothing is real if you don't believe in who you are. I don't believe in myself no more. Don't you understand? What if I don't believe? That's it. He's finished. It's over. That's it. That's not it. That is it. Why don't you tell me the truth? What are you putting me through, Adrian? You want to know the truth? The truth is I don't want to lose what I got. In the beginning, I didn't care about what happened to me. I go on a ring. I get busted up. I didn't care. But now there's you. There's the kid. I don't want to lose what I got. What do we have that can't be replaced? What? A house. We got cars. We got money. We got everything but the truth. What's the truth, damn it? I'm afraid, all right? You want to hear me say it? You want to break me down? All right, I'm afraid. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, too. 
There's nothing wrong with being afraid. There is. For me, there is. Why, you're human, aren't you? Look, I don't know what I am. All I know is I'm a liar. And because of that, Mickey ain't here no more. You didn't push him into anything. He was a grown man and he did what he had to do. And you have no right to feel guilty for what happened. You don't. You were a champion. And you did what you were expected to do. And you did what I and everybody else thought you should do. And you want to tell me that those fights weren't real? That you were carried? Well, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter what I believe, because you're the one that's got to carry that fear around inside you. Afraid that everybody's going to take things away. Afraid you're going to be remembered as a coward. That you're not a man anymore. Well, none of it's true. And it doesn't matter if I tell you. It doesn't matter because you're the one that's got to settle it. Get rid of it. Because when all the smoke is cleared and everyone's through chanting your name, it's just going to be us. And you can't live like this. We can't live like this. Because it's going to bother you for the rest of your life. Look what it's doing to you now. Paula thinks you can do it. So do I. But you, you got to want to do it for the right reasons. Not for the guilt over Mickey. Not for the people. Not for the title, not for money or me, but for you. Just you, just you alone. And if I lose? And you lose. At least you lose with no excuses. No fear. And I know you can live with that. How'd you get so tough? Yeah, I was a little hesitant to do this speech. Is this first reactions? Yep. Yeah, go for it. Because one, as I said, uh, the speech guy's uh, creative executive, Gene Tinoco Schaefer, um, said there was too much Rocky. But <laughs> also because I, my memories of this speech, I always felt like it didn't have a lot of internal cogency. I feel like it it jumped like the points are not really like A does not necessarily or B does not necessarily follow from A in various points. Sure. But when I spent some time re-listening to it um this week, I'll admit it's a better speech than I remember. And I think that if you just sort of think a little bit harder and you think a little bit more in the effect that Adrian was trying to get at, that B really does follow from A there in this. Um, maybe I'll try to be a little bit less abstract. Okay, so she says, You want to tell me that those fights weren't real, that you were carried? Well, I don't believe it. Well, Rocky had just said that in Mickey seem to admit that the fights were a setup, right? And then Adrian saying she doesn't believe it. But Mick <laughs> told him they were set up. But sure. I think that what she's sort of getting at is that <sighs> recognizing the uncertainty of whether or not they were set up, recognizing that they real you know, real punches were swapped. Rocky don't don't stake your career on these fights being set up or not, right? Because right now, this is the only fight that really matters, right? So that that's sort of what I interpreted from that after thinking about it a little bit more. I really love this imagery. 
when all the smoke has cleared and everyone's through chanting your name, it's just going to be us. I love that. It's just going to be us. And you can't live like this because it's going to bother you for the rest of your life. Man, just a great job of like zooming out from the moment and recognizing in a sense of what really matters their relationship and how this is going to affect their relationship. Yeah, those are the biggest things that stuck out to me. What about you, Ross? The first time I watched the Rocky movies through, I don't know, like high school maybe, I remember not liking Rocky 3 as well. But then I saw it again at some point, I don't remember when, you know, since then. And I liked it a lot more. I don't know exactly like why I didn't as like like it as much the first time. I'll, I did have to listen to it, admittedly, when you know you said the Adrian Rocky speech and Rocky Three. It didn't like just pop into my head. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think my first thought was just appreciating the power of just. I guess for Adrian to just know when it's time to just completely call somebody out, be tricky sometimes to just to know that, which obviously they're married in the film, which uh, does help a little bit. But yeah, so that jumped out to me. And honestly, the the line that jumped out, the same one Mike mentioned, um, when all the smoke is cleared and everything's everyone's through chanting your name, it's just going to be us. That was the line that definitely jumped out to me the most. So this, uh, I came across, I was walking through a lobby uh, I was a seminarian. This was in a, a dorm I was staying in during uh, this like summer program thing we were doing. And this dialogue came on, and there were several was, parts was of it, it. Like, was it like on AMC playing in the yeah, lobby? Yeah, the movie was, was just on. Yeah, it was some movie channel. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, whatever it was. But, um, but this lobby or this dialogue happened to be on when I, as I was kind of walking through, and. Uh, or I think I was walking in, waiting for an elevator, you know, just kind of passing time. And there were several things that stuck out, but just, uh, I love how she, and this is in the, at least in the excerpt I read, um, maybe it doesn't capture this as much, but like earlier on in the dialogue, she just calls him out. Cause he says all these things like, Oh yeah, this is why I'm not motivated. And then she's like, no, that's not it. This is why I'm not motivated. You know, and, and there are all these kind of reasons, more superficial ones. And she like kind of peels back the layers of Rocky's heart, you know, um, which is just a, a cool thing to see. And something I don't think I would have appreciated as, you know, just, I was probably high school too. When I first watched him, you know, something I certainly didn't appreciate as a high schooler. Um, and it moves quick and it's, and I would agree. I kind of see what you're saying with like, it does seem a little choppy when you first kind of go through the dialogue or like listen to it, um, or illogical or things don't follow, but yeah, if you do spend time with it, I think it all does does make sense. Or Sylvester Stallone, I think, is an interesting figure. Um, it's just part of why I picked it. I mean, well, one, like, 80s, culturally, I don't know who captures it better than Sylvester Stallone. And maybe there's, it looks like Mike's dubious on that. Cap- captures what? Captures just the ethos of 80s <laughs> cinema. You know, like, just, it was the, that was the era of the, the muscle-bound action star of the man, uh, but um, but yeah, the I feel man like was invented Stallone, in the '80s. <laughs> that's right. No men existed prior to Sylvester. We Stallone. had a man as president. <laughs> but uh, granted, I know Mike. You called me out that Rambo is in fact a movie where 
mostly he just shoots things um but <laughs> rocky was like his rom-com <laughs> but uh no he did yeah, that so. infamously with dolly parton one you should not watch wait he did a rom-com with dolly parton are yeah. you kidding me no, I've seen clips of it. And That's got to be terrible. terrible. <laughs> or there's also one called, uh, what is it? Please, Mom, Don't Shoot. <laughs> that he did. <laughs> yeah, he had a rough patch. Yikes. All right. Trying to recapture that Rocky magic. <laughs> I don't know. Um, speech and dialogue is about is kind of her like peeling back these different fears that Rocky has. That's like really holding him back from committing to the fight with Clubber Lang. So what, uh, what are you guys afraid of? Spiders, ghosts. I don't know if I would say it is the level of a phobia, but I'm definitely afraid of snakes. Um, always have been. I remember once when I was, man, probably, between 12 and 15 years old. Um, and I was out at a friend's house and they farmed. So we're out, you know, kind of in the country a little bit. And my buddy, his little brother was there and he had a friend over too. And his, so his little brother's friend who they're probably eight caught a little garter snake and was just being a little punk. Cause he knew I was afraid of snakes. So I'd, I'd be sitting in the chair by the fire and he'd like walk up behind me and like try to put it on my shoulder and stuff. And, um, yeah, so I don't think that caused my fear of snakes, but I'm afraid of snakes. I was always sort of um, intimidated by boys who could, I mean, I never saw a girl, but I would be intimidated if I saw her, um, like catching non-threatening snakes in the wild. <laughs> like, what are you, a child of Voldemort or something? I remember like, this was like five years. This I was an adult here, by the way. I'm this is I'm like thirty years old. We were at my parents' house and out in the yard, and there was a dead snake. I think my dad must have hit it with the mower or something. And I like forced myself to pick it up as like I'm gonna. That was at your. You were there. Wasn't that at your brother's? Uh, oh, was uh, that then? So that was like five or six years like ago. Like part. It was I guess like the bachelor, so to speak, party or the priest bachelor party. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, maybe that was it. I, I think that was. I, re- I remember there being an incident like that. Well, I forced myself. I think to someone pick up threw this... it in a tree, didn't they? They might have. I just remember forcing myself to pick it up, and even that, like knowing it was dead, was terrifying. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm averagely scared of most traditional things, like um, yeah, ghosts, the Is... dark. What? Like like heterosexual <laughs> marriage? <laughs> that, that works on multiple levels. Um, yeah, I mean like heights, like with climbing. What do you... <laughs> What? what you afraid of? He's a 35-year-old man. Tradi- Snakes, traditional thing, heights, traditional uh, things, you know. Spiders, definitely scared of those. Wallpaper. <laughs> Victorian decorations. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, like flying. Like, I don't not fly, or I, and I enjoy, like, the experience of flying. But, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of, like, oh, no, this plane could crash. I'm not even going to joke about the T word because especially with the recent events, it's too scary, the possibility. Yeah, yeah, lower level fears, nothing nothing too particularly noteworthy. Um, so, like I said, yeah, um, heights, ghosts, and the dark, 
sort of just average, average. So Mike's of afraid of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think. No, I think just what? reasonably. Those are three reasonable, very normal. I, I, yeah, there's a reasonable fearfulness of. you should have with a lot of things. You know, uh, heights minimally. I mean, yeah, I would say just reasonably. I think I'm more afraid with Abe with heights. Now that I have a like, I'm just yeah. Like we went to this. Um, Peoria has this like big overlook tower in the heights. I don't know if you guys have been there, but um, it freaked me out just having Abe on there. Like that was yeah, that was kind of weird. Guardrails? There are guardrails. It's like virtually impossible for him to get out. It, but like, I was still just kind of sounds like yeah. Matt's a helicopter parent <laughs> <laughs> wrapping his kid in bubble wrap. But, uh, but yeah, I would say heights. Yeah, just reasonably. So I think. The thing that really so spiders don't bother me like just your normal spiders. I think really big insects do freak me out. Like really big spider, like tarantula types of things. I think I would have a hard time dealing with that. Like I could see myself holding a snake at a petting zoo. I could see myself doing a lot of things, you know. But I think there's that. I remember as a kid, there were. If you guys heard like the Mary Worth stories or something like. Or there's different versions of these. Like it's like uh, the story goes like if you stand in front of a mirror in the dark. Oh, bloody! That's bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. Okay, I've heard different. Yeah, that's I've heard bloody Mary too. But like, yeah, that. So like mirrors in the dark freaks oh, me yeah. out. Yeah. Until I was probably like 25. Like I, I still wouldn't do bloody Mary, and that that would be freaking terrible. I mean, I wouldn't do it just because I'm like completely disinterested in doing it. But like as a younger kid, right. like of course there's some part of you that like wants to but doesn't want to, and anyway. But you hear stories though. She shows up sometimes, so it's like I'm I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, no, I that really freaked me out for quite a while. I mean, with this with this dialogue, obviously, like fears are like really negatively impacting Rocky's maybe not decision making, maybe that's too like cerebral of a thing, but he's just not himself. Have you guys noticed any like just fear negatively impacting decision making or like things that? Well, if maybe I can attempt to weave together our three click words tonight using the sort of. layers that adrian um shaved off in the speech and sort of to also answer your question he's coming back from rocky 2 where he was the underdog and he ended up winning right life is great he's married he's wearing jackets with a tiger on the back um yeah he has a kid now (laughs) he has a kid now and yeah, and that that's the start of Rocky Three is the montage about how great life is. It sounds silly, but like Mick is right, he loses that eye of the tiger. He maybe didn't know he had the eye of the tiger in the first place, and that's definitely I think a parallel to a lot of us in life where you sort of find yourself going through the motions and wondering what happened to this certain part of your life where things felt good. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be this comprehensive feel-good way, but like this may one particular area. Yeah, like Rocky said, how did things go from being, how did things get so bad or something like that? And while you can never quite exactly recreate what you had before, nor that you necessarily should, 
there is, I think, a certain kind of wisdom that Mick and Adrian are sort of like challenging him to cultivate that he didn't have before. It's it's the eye of the tiger in like this disciplined, sort of conscientious way, right? How, how am I trying to connect those, our three, three click words, right? I think that if you're in this situation where you don't have what you had before, but you still have some of those things, especially like the material things that were referenced there, that that can be a scary position. It's almost as if like I'm standing on the top of this teetering tower that I just went up and this is not a sustainable position to stay here, but I'm still afraid of doing something um, active in any way, right? So that that's sort of the nature of his fear, I feel like. But at the same time, there's that anxiety that anything you do is going to compromise your sense of self. I'm trying to not deal with uh, such such abstract things here but i don't know i'll, I'll stop there that, that's sort of my attempt to sort of weave together these ideas of fear fear and identity what do you guys what do you guys got on that i'm picking up what you're laying down i think but it does seem a little abstract yeah. so maybe to concretize things a bit so like one way like so super lighthearted, superficial way that fears kind of negatively impact your your life um there's this, uh, so Claire and I were in Des Moines, Iowa, visiting um, her family. Uh, she has a cousin there. Uh, and we were just kind of getting ready to leave town. And both of us, or, or we had, we had kind of decided that we were just going to leave town and, you know, get home a little early and then, you know, whatever, go from the live or do our day from there. But both of us, at what we actually wanted to do was to kind of just, putts around Des Moines, just hang around, go to a, you know, local random bakery for, you know, breakfast pastry and a coffee, you know, just whatever, slow, easy, nice morning. But we both somehow had the sense in the, uh, that the other person didn't want to do it. So we were kind of afraid to like, just voice our <laughs> desires because we didn't think that would be reciprocated. So we end up driving out of town. And on the way out, we're both irritated at each other because, <laughs> because of this. And, you know, we realized that anyway, it's just kind of a, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of couples have examples like that where you're trying to read into things and then no one wins, you know, because uh, you're living out of fear. You know, I'm like, I'm afraid Claire's not going to like this. So I'm just going to whatever, play it safe. Um, maybe slightly heavier or more uh, potentially more substantial like example, like um, we were in this like kind of public area. There was like a, a park next to this like little, uh, it was like a, not exactly a farmer's market, but whatever, something similar to that. Um, this lady was in, um, had fallen. It was like an old lady had fallen, um, wasn't able to get up. Um, it was clear there were a few people there. Someone was on the phone calling 911, but like, I mean, I'm a physical therapist. Like, I know what I'm doing in terms of helping people and, like, perform. But, I like, I was – I mean, I think there's some justification for me not doing anything because, like, they're already kind of getting 911 involved. Like, it wasn't the first one to see it. But at the same time, the first thought I had in my head was, like, crap, I don't want to be held liable for something, you know, 
if if something if something bad happened. Yeah, hurt herself trying to get up and sue me or you know whatever. Like, but that was the first thought I had, which is like a terrible. <laughs> you know, like I have a skill set that can be helpful in terms of like assisting people up from that situation and helping them and assessing them and like doing some good. But like the first, like I was afraid. And yeah, I I think those are maybe, I don't know if too concrete compared to Mike's uh, abstraction, because I think there's a lot of meaning in what you were saying, but I think I can bring it. I I think I can bring it down the middle a little bit, potentially (laughs) to less abstract and less concrete at the same time. So when you put the link to, was it psychology? One of the, what was the psychology psychology today? And it kind of talked about different fears and things. Um, And the one that I feel like resonated the most, or I think I know in myself, but also probably seeing other people is like the fear of rejection. And I mean, Rocky even talks about it in the speech at the end. It says like, what if I lose? And I don't know. I just feel like there's kind of a sense that he kind of has built himself up and like how the people see him is kind of how he sees himself a little bit, you know, as the champion, as the champion, something that maybe she helped him see. And I think we like you kind of brought this up later in the outline, Matt, as far as like um, self-invention and stuff like that. But what is really your identity versus, you know, what you think it is, what you think it should be, what other people view it as, if that makes sense. And I think that it seems like he had, I think some of the fear that he had, at least in some of that, was he had kind of lost a little, he had kind of started to confuse, you know, his identity with this, I guess, I don't know if you'd say false or invented identity. I don't know how you'd put it. You know, in the in Rocky 1, if you said, you know, who are you? He wouldn't have said, I'm the champ, you know. But it seems like that was his fear in Rocky 3, that I'm not the champ. Those fights weren't real. I'm mm-hmm. not really the world champion. I held the title for too long. What if I lose? Like, just all that stuff. And I think she kind of yeah. helped him see that's not actually your identity. Um and when you can actually see your true identity or who you really are, it's almost like the fears, not that they fall away or that they're not real, but they just don't carry the same, I don't know if weight's the right, right word, but I don't know if you guys see what I'm saying at all or not with all that, but I feel like she just helped him see. Um, let me try to bring something in that's going to give us an opportunity to bring Sister Miriam in. I was sort of thinking that an interesting backstory that they could have played with in Rocky films was like Rocky and his father, right? Because so much, you know, going back to our uh, father wounds episode, Becoming Jesus, right? I mean, that's the like, and that's the title of the, the identity thing. Like, this is who you are, man. Yeah, why is it that the notion of identity and wounds and fathers like have so much interplay as far as activity? And I feel like that could have been an interesting thing to explore, especially with Rocky in this film. Like, why do you struggle with seeing yourself the right way? Um you know, the the talk that uh, I referenced there that Matt had on the outline is from a Sister Miriam from a Steubenville conference, um, right? And she's, one of her thing, her shtick, or her <laughs> is talking about wounds a lot, which Matt did pose a question. like, can you focus on wounds too much? I think you can. And I think that is definitely, like, 
something that I thought. I, you know, I might even go so far as to say that sure. that the the devil might sort of take advantage of. Cause, yeah, because it's very can be very easy to like wallow in your wounds of yeah, which can be real things. But then yeah, maybe let's back up a little bit and talk about identity. Maybe identity first, because like that's that's the thing that's there that gets rattled or or wounded or um, yeah somehow compromised with with some sort of uh, wound or fearful situation. Like so, Rocky. I, I feel like the the phrase "I'm a fighter" comes up in like every Rocky movie. Like he just says, "I'm a fighter," you know, whatever, Adrian, you know, and like. Like he uses that as like a justification for something at every single movie, um, and and it's not like uh, and it's not insincere, you know. I think there is uh, there is something like yeah, uniquely wired into someone who you know punches people and gets punched for a living. And if you're Rocky, it's mostly getting punched. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, like. It's not insincere, but where, where I guess, where does it come from? Because I, I feel like there's um, there's like a, a there's a Christian notion to like, oh, your identity is in Jesus, your identity is you know in a beloved Son of God, and and that's certainly true, and that I think it is um, like it, there is like an objective element to it, like it is just kind of how like yep we're we are are loved into existence, um, like. And God does care about each and every individual. He has a specific call for all of us to, to live out. Um, but at the same time that can, I can certainly see how someone would, would be like, oh, well, that's manufactured. And like, if everyone has it, why am I, you know, then maybe I don't have an identity if that's all my identity is, you know? So I guess like where. Wait, if what, if what is all your identity is the child? If like, oh, I'm a beloved son of God, but everyone else is too. So like, who cares? You know, like, okay, it's I not an authentic yeah. thing for me. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, so yeah, I guess like, where does that come from? How do you, how do you go more particular from there? Or like, does it come to you? Do you pick it? Do you develop it yourself? Does it happen to you? Like, yeah, I guess what are your thoughts on that? I, I see, I mean, I see where you're coming from where like, oh, that can sort of sound bland or something, right? Because especially in grade school religion you might hear sentiment like that or emphasizing that theology but especially the older i get i see the relevance of that um belief but i see it very much like as a foundational belief right that can inform the idea that you're a fighter if you're a rocky right that well first i'm a child of god but and then that informs, you know, how, how he's a fighter, right? Versus if there's no foundation to that, yeah, then what's like the moral parameters of your fighting, right? Because Clubber Lang, I mean, I don't know if Clubber Lang saw himself <laughs> as a child of God, right? We saw how that, that turned out. I think it's fair to kind of, yeah, like recognize that objective statement and truth that, you know, we're all, I'm a beloved son of God. And then that's the foundation that everything else is built upon. And it seems like you have to have some sort of objective foundation like that, or you're just eventually gonna crumble. So like, cause what do you if, do when you're no longer a fighter, right? Make 
make Creed exactly. four. Like what's Rocky? In it? I mean, I mean Rocky Balboa. He still did it, but keep making right. Rocky movies, baby. Um, but yeah, Rocky it's just 12. like if you one hundred percent just self invent your identity, you're either always changing or it's gonna fail eventually. Um, and neither of those seem to be like lasting. I feel like that foundation is super important to be able to maintain some sense of peace or joy, you know, throughout your life. Um, and then I think it's finding the other things based on, like Matt, you had said, is it, is it, I don't remember your exact question, but it seemed like you were kind of off the, you know, is, do you pick your identity? Is it given to you? Is it developed over time? I feel like it's like built upon on the foundation and then it's probably all of the above, you know, like some of it is personality, which is just, you know, maybe somewhat genetic or, you know, just, uh, but then other things are chosen, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the type of person you choose to be is going to be, that's how you view yourself. And when they stop chanting your name, it's just you and me. Yeah, I think um, there's an interesting... Living so in the nursing the, home. The, <laughs> me and Ross. <laughs> um in the nursing home, ranting about the glory days of the speech guys. And Mike's still somehow running six miles a day. <laughs> he comes and visits us and brings us donuts. Here, fatties. I've got diabetes. Ross has heart disease, and neither of us are. And I have seven on our feet anymore. I have seven wives. <laughs> but uh, so. The, there was that TED talk I posted. He kind of told a little bit of his story of kind of his, I guess, development of his identity. So he's a, uh, so he's British. Always definitely, you know, firmly uh, appreciated and, and identified with his British heritage. But one of the things that he mentioned kind of happened as a young kid. So his his brother died. Marcus, the speaker, was six years old. I don't know how old his brother was. I can't remember. Um, but that was something that he chose to view his brother's loss as something is like a journey of self-realization, you know? Um, and he kind of would like think about his brother at different periods of his life. You know, what if, what if he was here and kind of chose to like, have that be this sort of wind in his sails, you know, which is really cool, like a really cool way to frame that. But he, he really emphasized the choice element, which didn't, which seemed a little bit like self inventy and and didn't sit well but even he had to admit at the end um so he he kind of did this photography um project in brazil kind of and, and just about how these people kind of identified because there's all these there, there's a I, I don't know i don't know that much about the history of brazil but i know there's a lot of different cultures they're like you know indigenous folks there are portuguese um people who colonized it. There's a lot of Spanish influence. There's a lot, there's some like African diaspora that happened there or something. I don't know. I don't know the details, but anyway, it's very diverse, like complex area exploring how these people identified themselves. And he did emphasize the choice, but he, at the end, he, at the very end, he admitted, he was like, you know, there are certain facts that are kind of like the substrate and these people kind of like latched onto certain facts and like wove them into their identity you know like the the facts are like the thread and then an individual kind of you know makes into a tapestry so to speak um which i think is a uh 
a mature way of thinking. I think he probably overemphasizes choice. You know, like Rocky has the ability to fight and get punched a million times and not pass out. <laughs> you know, um, and he has an, a certain intensity into his personality that that allows him to to do that. And uh, I think that's kind of like the yeah, maybe that's like the object. There's there's more particulars. There's objective facts that you're given. But you you do have to choose, kind of pick and choose, and like develop it as well. Productive and something that like God does intend. You know what I mean? Like it's not like God. I'm imagining. I mean, I know Rocky does get a blessing from that priest, and I forget if it was Rocky one or two. He's like, Yo, can I get a blessing or something? Um, <laughs> that's one of one of my favorite lines. But um, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, like there's certain particulars that you weave into something that god wants you to be but maybe the uh the unique part about rocky three is his identity's rattled for the first time you know like he never expected to win in the first fight he somehow managed to win in the second fight and then rocky three happens you know he's he's on a hot streak he's winning these fights um whether they're you know however legitimate they are or not yeah like then he gets it rattled by clever lang like what? How have you guys happened? Had that happened to you? Like how have you responded? What? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like, and I don't know if I'd say rattled, but maybe just, I don't know, maybe like a realization. I don't say this in a bad way. I think everybody would come to the same conclusion eventually. Like, just coming to the conclusion as I get a little bit older and maybe grow in maturity a little bit, that I'm at just an average person, and. The reason I think I like it was more of a, and it wasn't like I wouldn't have ever known that at like a logical, like in a logical way, right? Like, yeah, you're probably average at most things. That's how it works, <laughs> you know? Um, sure. But I don't know. I just think that I had a little bit of a kind of maybe in a similar way as Rocky here. Obviously, I was never the world champion at anything, but in things that weren't necessarily the core of my identity but things that maybe I associated with, you know, that I had chosen to be a part of. Um, I always just kind of felt like I was good at stuff. Um, so, like, I was good at sports in high school. I did well in school. So I just, I don't know, I, just, I feel like I almost just always viewed myself as like, I, oh, I mean, I'm good at, like, I'm good at X or I'm good at this or I'm good at that. And then just as I got older, just maybe just, starting to see just more and more things it's like yeah i'm pretty average at this and i'm pretty average at that and just like i don't know if i'm explaining that very well so i feel like i kind of view it more as an immaturity to maturity type journey um just i think my pride settled a little bit and i was not humbled in like a i suck way but more just um so i didn't have the adrian kind of pulling me out on the beach but just kind of slowly over years kind of just figuring out and i think it just made me i think that in some ways that made me kind of think more about the foundational things right so oh i'm not as maybe as good at this as i thought i was or better at people than this or like those type of things so i think that over time that so i don't think rattled is the right word but i think i just changed how i viewed myself a little bit I think that the most relevant response I have to that, I think, and this is something Sister Miriam brought up um, with that idea of being seen, right? Feeling like we're not being seen is kind of 
the nature of a particular wound. And that's definitely something that I've, you know, when you're young, you really don't like, I remember having that feeling being, when I was young, of not being seen by people in my life, but I wouldn't have used those words because, you know, you never heard those words. So I was like, well, yeah. I wonder if, as a result, I, I can lean very heavily into various pursuits as, you know, whether it's running or climbing or writing or or podcasting that, okay, so th- I don't necessarily feel seen or like these little nuances of my heart recognized in the way that I want them to be seen in these other circumstances of my life so therefore i'm going to make myself seen in these other ways for sure does that make sense and whether that's a the healthiest reason i think one thing i've sort of always struggled with that idea is because it's like how much voice do you give to that like i don't want to sound like a whiny little (laughs) hey hey (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and that, that's something I, I really tried to give a lot of voice to and even find a certain amount of like resolution for the, the character of Mel in the Under the Ozark Stars, because right, she, the character of Mel, she, there's these aspects of her interior life with respect to running and not just running but running hard and recognizing that there's something to this religion thing it's not just old guys in robes but it's actually a way of seeing the world that is noble and beautiful and ancient and as i've shared before in some ways another like those are things i recognize in myself and because they felt invisible in many ways to and maybe that's just my own perception you know maybe i was misinterpreting things but they felt invisible especially younger that i was foolish for feeling that way about those things and therefore they were not worthwhile and it it can just make life i think more confusing than it needs to be Right, that really important time when you are trying to figure out who you are, right? It's like, oh gosh, there's this stuff going on in my heart that feels like it means something to me, but maybe it actually doesn't mean anything, right? And if I think if a child can work through that in a more effective and constructive way, then they will be able to have an identity that's a little bit more durable, that's not so tenuous like Rocky's was. Like the fears and identity and stuff. I think and we talked about it a little bit in the outline, but what do you guys think of the idea, and I have an example for it, but kind of the idea that if we're afraid of something, maybe that means we should do that thing. And the reason I bring it up was I feel like, you know, Rocky seemed, in a way, afraid to fight um, because his identity had been rattled. And I feel like, I try, I'm trying to remember back, something that, I remember when we were in college, something that I feel like inspired me, I think it struck a chord in a way, was I 
when we were I don't I don't know where I was or where I heard it, but the idea that you should ask a girl on a date and not just hang out with her because that puts you in a possible place of rejection and she's worth that. So most of the time when guys sure. quote unquote just hang out with a girl, text, call, go to mood like and it just kind of slowly just everybody sure. knows they're dating over this like period of time the reason that went that way was poss- very likely just the guy was afraid of rejection so that really struck a chord with me so i remember when i asked julie on a date i was we hadn't really hung out hung out very much didn't know her very well but i was very like i was like i want to say i'm going to ask her on a date and make it very clear and put you know give myself the possibility of rejection and all that um the funny side of it was i remember when i asked her on a date my exact words were, do you want to go out to dinner or something like that? And she just was immediately like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And I remember I had this moment of, does she know what I just meant? Because I didn't say the word. Because I'd like I'd built up so much in my head, like, I'm going to specifically tell her this is a date. Mm, so I sure. do remember there was like a five-second pause, <laughs> and then I went, it's a, like on a date. And then her only response was like, I think she actually said, yeah, I got that. It was pretty, yeah. So I kind of looked silly. But, um. I mean that could come off cute. Yeah, no, a, I could, yeah, that's girl. Yeah. I could see that. <laughs> Look at this guy; he's a doofus. He's not smooth yeah. at all. <laughs> I'll give my him a chance. <laughs> my heart rates through the roof. Um, but anyway, so like just this idea of you know just kind of over yeah doing something that you're afraid of, and it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's. I can't think of an like an example of something right now. Like, oh, I'm afraid to do that thing, so I should do it, but. Um, I just remember that striking me, at least at that time in my life. I th- I think there's a lot of truth to that. Whatever's scary, you should do, but also temperate as well. I think the climbing gym is a good example. Like me and my climbing partners, as oftentimes we'll push each other on. Like whichever one's scarier, that's the one you should do. But sure. you don't want to do that all the time either, or else you're gonna get burned out, which I think applies to life as well. <laughs> I mean, one example with like my identity being rattled, I would say relatively young and kind of like also, like you said, like just exposing yourself to it. Like, I know you mentioned Ross, like just being average, like I am an average athlete, I think maybe a little above average. I'll give you 60 percentile, 60 percentile. <laughs> I think that seems reasonable. Uh, <clears throat> but above uh, average rock climbing, though, I was I was impressed that. Day. Yeah. See, there you go. And uh, I am the strongest speech guy, uh, in case for people keeping track at home. Mike's the fastest for long distances. <laughs> Ross is definitely the fastest for short distances. Landon's the best golfer by a long shot. But I am the strongest, so there you go. Everybody is special. <laughs> <laughs> it's my identity, Mike. All right, don't rattle it. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, so like high school, I mean, I went to a huge high school. Um, so graduating class, 1100 kids. And there were like a hundred, there were over a hundred kids who went out for the football team. So they actually had to do cuts. Normally football like is not a, a cut sport. And I was on the team, but I was like barely, you know, I would be on the field for like maybe a special team or two during the game. And that was about it, you know, very much on the fringe um, of, of anything. And, um, 
And I think, you know, you're, you're young, your freshman and sophomore year, there's always that hope you're going to hit a growth spurt and become a monster. You know, junior year, you're like, oh, crap, maybe this isn't going to happen. <laughs> and then your senior year, it's like, done this much. <laughs> like, I might as well stay on the team. There's there's certain elements of that that weren't noble, but there was enough that kept me kept me in it, that I didn't quit. Um, and I, I did continue to play football, even though there was like, yeah, even though I was very much on the fringe. And that was like really, really painful as a kid. And I don't know if I would have admitted that at the time, but like looking back, I think there were a lot of, um, obviously it's not like the coaches did anything wrong. Like, yeah, there were better players than me, but it still felt like a wound that, you know, yeah, coaches didn't do anything wrong. They picked better players to play, um, but I still felt uh, rejected in that way, you know, and it was, uh, there was some pain there. But yeah, like I, I think you, I mean, there are enough things, whether there were noble reasons or not, you know, just like, well, shoot, have put this much into it, might as well stay on and, you know, or just being able to wear a jersey on Fridays at school was still like a rewarding thing. You know, there's certain like, yeah, like spending time with the guys and like the, the camaraderie of a football team is, is motivating as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like it was the types of things that I'm like very, very glad I stuck with it. And I think that did kind of, um, it made it less, like you mentioned, like that teetering thing, that teetering ladder that you're like unsteady on, um, just kind of staying with it and like risking that, risking like, yep, I might not actually play much at all, <laughs> you know, um, I think was kind of helpful for like solidifying an identity in that, like there are other identities you kind of gain from things um, like that in terms of like, working hard, being a good teammate. Um, and I think also around that time, like there's a youth group that I was kind of able to be like, all right, like this is, and that did show me my true identity. Um, even though I'm not sure how I would have phrased it at the time. I, I think identity is so important. And I'm also, you guys can start like brainstorming on uh, John Eldridge's wild at heart book too, if anything comes to mind. But there's so many moments, you know, when it's I'm sitting there on the couch drinking my coffee, it's dark outside, it's maybe cold and windy, and not trying to toot my horn, but like acknowledge reality, right? There's there's not a lot of people who would go out and run and do that. Not zero people, but not most people, right? And or just in any other, or a lot of hard circumstances where you think of the fact, and it's not just one thing, but it's like, because I'm a runner, I'm going to go out and do that. Because I'm a Schaefer, I'm going to go out and do that hard thing. Because I'm a Tinoco, I'm going to go out and do that hard thing. Because I'm a Christian, I'm going to go and do this uncomfortable thing, right? The point is, is that I think that when you have that those very clear notions of identity, right? We obviously all have lots of different identities that are relevant to each of us, right? When you have that really rich, deep foundation, positive foundation, all those different ways of seeing yourself, you have so many different um, perspectives, resolutions, ways of seeing a challenge in a way that's going to help you move forward in it, right? And if you... Right, as far as like Schaefer Tanoka goes, my two family names, right, it's 
there's a sense of value there because like I know our family stories reasonably well right because my mom did a big genealogy project growing up and I drove around different cemeteries with her and you know we had family reunions and there are all these family stories right and the family stories weren't about hey remember how grandpa Jeb used to watch a lot of TV no it's because he was fighting the the uh the axe what was the word for japan and germany and spain the axis axis yeah axis and allies yeah, yeah. yeah, Italy. yeah. right that's um <laughs> and i italy that's <laughs> Spain. um right and i get i guess the point i'm saying and then obviously you know with the christian story actually knowing your christian story in a very significant way one one question i enjoyed posing to my students when i was teaching is i want you guys to think of the first person in your family who became christian right maybe that was a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago because there was something that had to have taken place courageous for that person right Maybe they were an actual martyr. Who knows? Probably not. But at the very least, they had to endure some sort of awkwardness or embarrassment. And if you if you don't honor that choice by either being legit Catholic or not committing to this all, one of those two things, you're you're dishonoring that family legacy. Sure. Not saying religion yeah. is family, but there is a certain agency there to think about. So anyway, the point of it being is that identity is just it gives you so much capacity to deal with hard things and you got to know the stories for each of those identities i think that's a good way to wrap up the identity stuff this will be cut or whatever but <laughs> who am unless, i unless yeah like if so yeah if one of you guys have more another identity thought, what else we got <laughs> Yeah. How many times do you, how many times do you think we said the word identity in that? <laughs> so another cool dynamic of this speech is that Adrian, so she knows something isn't quite right with Rocky's answers, right? And this is, um, uh, yeah. So he kind of initially says, you know, makes some comment about like, oh, those fights weren't right, you know. I never fought anyone who was in their prime, whatever, whatever. And um, and then, you know, she is like, oh, no, that's not it. That's not it. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't want to lose stuff. I mean, I don't want to lose our, our house or our money. I don't want to, you know, like I'm providing for you and the, the kids and, you know, whatever. I don't want to lose it. And then she kind of peels back like, hey, all of that can be replaced. We've got more than we need. Like what's that? that that's bull crap, you know. And then that's really that's when he gets she gets to like I'm afraid, right? And that's the core wound, so to speak. That's the core problem that Rocky needs to deal with, right? So I think it's beautiful the way she does that, um, and I think there's something uniquely feminine in the way she does that, and something that I, I think certainly as like uh, yeah, just being married for two and a half, almost three years now, um, like you you. Yeah, you just have more experience of experiences of that sort of thing. Just like the women in your life, kind of having this unique ability to like know you and force you to dig deeper. Um, yeah, just a really cool dynamic to the speech. So like, yeah, I guess 
how have the women in your life forced you to dig deeper? I think that is kind of a uniquely feminine skill. I might actually throw out something out. Um, so I threw that Sister Miriam uh, talk on there. So she's uh, she's really legit, and she act she as well as uh, uh, Bob Shooks, who I mentioned in the outline. I know we haven't talked about him much here, but um, so they did a retreat for Joliet seminarians. This was shortly after the uh, 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 the summer where I had the the Rocky Three lobby encounter. Um, so there there were time there were like certain times you could sign up for to like just have like a fifteen minute one on one conversation, and I I did get to chat with Sister Miriam uh, for like a little stretch, um, and yeah I. I won't share the details of that conversation. Um, just, yeah. But it, I would say that was certainly one of the times where like she peeled back several layers, you know, and I think that, um, yeah, like she does have a very special gift with that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. If I think of a, a tactful and succinct way to, to express it, maybe I will, but we'll kind of leave it there for now. And I don't, I don't think I disagree with what you're saying. Um, but just to make us dig a little deeper, how do you like how are women like you said that's like a uniquely feminine thing like in how, in what way or how so more on like an emotional level and like an awareness level because like rocky is I'm sure like he's been challenged in different points in his life by Mickey by uh, Apollo by you know all these different people uh, these men in his life. Um, and, um, there's a certain way men challenge each other. And then I feel like there's, yeah, just like a different dynamic to how women do it. Um, and I would say, especially on just the emotional level, I I think is kind of the main thing where there are these deep seated emotions that Rocky is not aware of, or maybe afraid to like interact with. Um, and that's where women maybe have like a little bit more courage and a little more awareness to like uh, to navigate that yeah i think that's a a good way to put it you know something that um this was on my mind recently because having um uh four um yeah four four goddaughters you know i do think a lot about their the formation of their souls and how how they see themselves and and carry themselves and i don't know for some reason thinking about that reminded me of a kind of story that i remember hearing a lot in college of some guy focus missionary or a priest who started going to daily mass because of a girl that they thought was attractive they saw there um yeah so I, that that's just sort of affirming the reality of what Matt was suggesting that women have this capacity to to inspire men or in, in in certain ways and um I can certainly identify that like with my in my life and again <laughs> And, you know, not of uh, trying not to podcast scared as well, but like I mean that there's a certain 
you know, in those instances where a girl breaks off the relationship, I mean, a lot of the times, since they're obviously the ones who broke it off, it's like, it's still like on my mind, like, oh man, sure wish that would work out. And of like trying to rectify that by being as well man maybe i i need to be more virtuous and less obnoxious and 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 stronger (laughs) and more well-read and more interesting and all these different things and i mean i guess if um well yeah and i don't know i don't know how i don't know what's what's you guys experience back in the days when you were dating like how normal of an attitude was that for you guys of like i just i gotta get better yeah and that's maybe um i think that's an interesting comment because that's i would say that the idea that i have to get better is kind of like you're, you're kind of saying i am a project and like fundamentally that's not who you are you know what i mean like, not that you shouldn't, like, try to grow in different ways, but, like, like God loves you right now, no matter what, no matter how scummy you are, <laughs> right? Um, and that's, like, the fundamental thing. That's the fundamental identity that we referred to earlier. That's, like, all right, once that's set, now you can, like, kind of pay attention to different facts and, like, kind of weave something. Um, that's the loom, if we're going to use the tapestry example. Um, and I would say it's, it's, it's that idea that like, you are not a project, um, was like a really important grace that I got that summer that I referred to, like where the lobby and this, you know, um, and basically kind of seeing God as someone who is interested in me, um, now, like here and now, like I haven't grown, I'm not growing right now. I'm just there. Like, and, um. I, yeah, I totally have felt that my whole life, you know, in terms of every failure or rejection, um, yeah, the idea that, oh, I just got to get better. All right. <laughs> you know, and there's something noble in that attitude uh, that's, yeah, that I think is a good thing. There are some good that comes from that. And there's a reason that's um, kind of a protective mechanism. But I think sometimes it is just that. Yeah, that is the foundation of tape, what, all that stuff. Like that's the the primary thing that you are enough. And then it, we also know like there's true, there's areas I would like to grow in and get better at. And just thinking about the masculine versus the feminine a little bit, I feel like at least in my experience, men are maybe better at calling out men for this is where you need to grow at. So like I've had different guys, challenge, not, I don't know, challenge me hard, but like, yeah, you need to, you know, let's do this or let's let's get better here or let's, you know, uh, let's get in better shape. Let's not look at our cell phones as much like, you know, the do, do, do. But I feel like maybe women are better at helping people recognize the more foundational truth that you are enough. Um, and what comes to my mind the most when I think of that, honestly, is my mom um, and like relationship with a mother. Uh, and I feel like mm. that's probably, I think for most people... It's like who would love you, you know, if they if they saw all your dirty secrets, knew all your screw ups, like everything. Like I feel like most people, like your mom would still love you. You know what I mean? If that makes sense or not. And 
maybe that's part of the the feminine genius of being able to see people's that foundational truth that they are they are enough they are good you know um no matter what else has happened yeah i'd be you guys know the whatever podcast have you heard about that i've never watched it i've heard of it though it's like a group of is probably in reality like the most typical i would be really really curious what like the true average male in that dating age bracket would have to say in response to this question like how do women inspire you how do you change your behavior in a healthy way not the projecting way like might in order to in order to level up right yeah i have i I don't know i have no idea what uh how they'd respond to that I mean, it feels like they would just sort of drool emotionless, like their brains don't (laughs) operate at that level. (laughs) But but yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, no, I think it's just really, yeah, just hearing you guys talk about this and yeah, I just makes me really grateful, you know, just like to have a good wife and yeah, good, good mom and yeah, just a really Mm. good thing. I know, I know there are times where I get rather cynical about the physical therapy profession, which um, <laughs> you guys are aware of. And, uh, but yeah, no, Claire's got a good way of, of shutting me down, but building me up at the same time. You know what I mean? Kind of being like, you know, that's mm-hmm. a bunch of crap because there are these people that you've mentioned that I've heard you talk about that really needed you, you know, so <laughs> You don't have the right to be a cynical turd, you know. Yeah, that's but, an I don't know. That's an interesting skill, but I see I I can see a lot of value in Yeah, because there is often time, yeah, you don't want a partner who's just constantly building you up because that's utterly like dude, re, like or lady, yeah. relax. Like that's utterly naive or whatever. But yeah, you don't want to be shut down constantly either. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's great. Great job, Claire. Julie, she Julie's always riding Ross one. like Ross, pick up your underwear. <laughs> Ross, why are you drinking another beer? <laughs> <laughs> She's not, just to qualify that. Would this be a good time for the final bell? And if we did a final bell, would it be like if women, you know, basically if women spur us to greater emotional depth, in what way should we inspire women? perfect woman? <laughs> final bell? Ding, 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 ding. All your strength. All your power. All your love. Who loves you? Big thing. One more round. There's no stopping us now. This is our round. Don't stop it now. We're starting. We don't stop. All your strength, all your power, all your love, everything you've got. This is your whole life. Do it now. And we're back. Final bell. And boy, it's fun having the audio from the final bell being from from Rocky himself. That's true. From the following movie, though, Rocky Four. Matt, what do we got? What's going to bring us home? All right, so we just talked about how women have a unique ability to inspire men uh, in great to greater emotional depth, awareness, and thus inspiration. Um, so if men, women spare, 
spur their men to greater emotional depth in kind of a uniquely feminine way. In what ways do or should men inspire women in kind of a uniquely masculine way? So what sticks out to me is actually different from what initially stuck out to me. And this actually pairs well with something I learned um, in college from some good male mentors is that, and this sort of goes with what Matt was saying with Claire before, is I think, I think, not all women, but it seems with with guys as case in point like it does work really well like giving them crap but also building them up but i think that it does need to be much more of the build up positive sort of side of that equation with girls or that person that you're dating yeah like good example you know with girls i've gone rock wall climbing with like being being very positive and encouraging, you know, at a nine to one scale versus a one to one scale is, I think, important. Because yeah, yeah be, being obnoxious, I think, is really easy for a lot of a lot of modern males sure. thinking that's attractive in some some goofy way. Yeah, just treating a woman like a woman. So like, I'm not like. But I feel like there is, and not like all jokes aside, like I think there's something good about the ability for men to build up other men by challenging them to grow and get better. And I think, not that you can never do that, you know, for a woman, but I feel like there ha- it does seem like there is something different in the sense of that I feel like oftentimes maybe women are good at seeing the good in others and seeing that foundational truth about the identity of other people yet I feel like maybe they question it in themselves a little bit. Um, and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's somewhat cultural, and, and maybe that's, we do know all the factors why, but I feel like just, le- yeah, showing them or letting them know if that like that they are good and they are enough. Um, and I think that probably looks a little bit different for, you know, depending on what relationship, you know, if it's your wife or your daughter or your mom or just some girl that you know. But really briefly is a supplement my answer. Recently, I took my niece Sam out for coffee and lunch and like I held the door open for her. And I was, you know, because she's 12 now. So I'm explaining like, you know, if a guy doesn't do this on the date, you know, <laughs> make sure you send him my way. Right. And. She says something like, well, I can hold the door myself. Well, that's good. You should be able to open the door yourself. And now, but it should be, but the man doesn't, right, to celebrate you, to honor you, right? Now, if they do it every single time, then, yeah, clearly they just think you can't open the door and, you know, they should be addressed, right? But anyway, I I think something, yeah, subtle like that of just helping, yes, recognize that, their femininity is something to be honored and celebrated is is worthwhile but one way i've heard of like a wide variety of women so like um family members people who are faithful and unfaithful people who i know a little bit or know a lot um i think there's a pretty wide demographic um about 
uh, of people who've kind of mentioned this same thing. When they talk positively of their husbands, they describe them as like their rock. I feel like that's like the, the image I've heard people share the most, maybe. Um, and yeah, just talking, I was talking with Claire about this like exact question, like what do men bring to the relationship? Um, and like, she did mention several things like objectivity, like there's a certain security and stability that she, that like she really appreciates and that that's, yeah, that was kind of her response. So like objectivity, emotional security, stability, um, and yeah, like after she said that, I was just thinking about more about how I've, yeah, just like hearing my aunts talk about different things or hearing like, uh, yeah, like women of varying ages, you just a wide demographic and like the, like, oh, he's my rock is kind of like the phrase I've heard a lot. Um, so anyway, I guess that's probably like, that might be like the best, like the, the singular image, like to be the rock. Um but I guess maybe more specifically what that might look like is, you know, objectivity, like you're, you're a stable person and you're not going anywhere. And actually a, a, a cool thing, uh, a really cool uh, dialogue. I think it's in the, it's whatever Rocky movie they get married in. I think it's the second one where they actually get married. But um, Adrian says, asks Rocky, like, or she expresses the fear that she, that he's going to get bored with her. And he tells her he's not going anywhere, mm, yeah. you know? And just like, man, that's, uh, yeah. I remember, uh, so I, I showed Claire no. all the Rocky movies when we he were still says, dating. You ain't ever getting rid of me. <clears throat> okay. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. You ain't ever getting rid of me. <laughs> you ain't never getting rid of me. <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember, uh, yeah. Especially cause like, yeah, I was dating Claire at the time I was showing her all the Rocky movies. Because uh, she had never seen him, but uh, but yeah, like just thinking about that phrase and yeah, it just meant a lot at the time because I was yeah getting closer. I can't remember how close I was to proposing, but I know I was kind of thinking things about that. I was wondering if you weren't doing nothing for the next 30 or 40 years. <laughs> that was more like Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with your Stallone impression, Matt. That was pretty good. Hey, you know, it's uh, not a big deal or nothing. Although it's sort of a mix of Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. What do, what do we got next week? It's Landon, so I suppose it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. It's January 1st, 1980 speech. Cool. Well, it's been great. Well, thanks for... <laughs> thanks for drinking. And thinking. Stay safe out there. <laughs> hey, let's cue the music. Peace of mind, relief from the trying I had burned a bridge, wrecked in a ditch Had to ask forgiveness Dead ends come and go Look toward the horizon 
times we fell Oh, I've been afraid some days But the road will lead us to a better place The road will lead us to a better place He's the creator. Why, why did we have Mike Schaefer as the uh do you know Ma- you've met Mike no. Schaefer? Yeah, you met Mike Schaefer. I know. I don't know he, well, so, I mean, one, he's he's the one who's definitely put the most effort and creative uh, input in the podcast. Um, and he is very kindly uh, volunteered to be uh, the main editor, um, in part because the rest of us have kids. And yeah, it would just be harder to yeah. set aside, you know, big chunks of time to do that. And so, yeah, he's very generous on that front. Um, How long does it take to edit? Like, what are you guys saying that you need to edit out of these? You know, <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, goes, I don't man, know. another racist tirade at minute fifty. <laughs> I don't know exactly how long. It, it's been a while since I've edited edited them, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. To be honest, I don't know exactly how long, but it, it the biggest thing is just kind of like the learning curve of learning how to edit well and to like. Um, cause the last time I edited, we were just using Skype audio, which is a lot easier cause we're all on the same like audio stream. So it's literally, you just kind of like use some sound, sound reduction stuff and then cut out awkward pauses and that's it, you know, but um, yeah. now that Mike, cause we're recording separately now and Mike has to like sync them and whatever. So he does a lot more complicated things that I don't really know how to do anymore. 